At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Let's turn now to our reverse text for the week. It's, it's in your bulletin, Matthew 7, 1 through 6 and verse 12. If you'll find that, we're going to read it aloud together, and let's stand as we read. This, then, is the text for today. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for that the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading of His Word. The first three words of Matthew chapter 7 are a real problem. The first three words you see there are, do not judge. These three words have been manipulated and thrown back into the faces of Christians since Jesus uttered them. You will usually hear people quote some version of this in their own way. Somewhere near, do not judge me. Or something like, you are not my judge. Which on the highest spiritual level is true. But this section of Matthew 7 is often treated as a three-word text when it contains so much more. Jesus did not say, do not judge, and then end the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't say, do not judge, and the Gospels are closed. There's a great deal more to consider here, even in this very paragraph. And usually what people mean, when they say something like, don't you judge me. It's coming from a place of deep conviction. It's a, it's a knee-jerk reaction of guilt or a, a burden of insecurity. And one of the things I have to wrestle with is this is a primary problem, um, both in the church and, and in society is that we regularly refuse to acknowledge our own sin by saying something like, don't judge me when we feel convicted. We run 
when the Spirit of God begins to shed light on our sin and our failure. Now, I do want to be clear here. What Jesus says is true. And when Jesus says, do not judge, there are a couple of concepts that we need to clarify as we work down through this. One of those things that we need to clarify as we work down through this is even that, that person wrestling with the conviction of sin who says, you're not my judge. They're They're right. You and I are not the judge. There is an eternal judge, the sovereign one, who sits on a throne that is his and his alone. You know, it is not us who will punish the people in our lives who hurt us. It is not for us to claim vengeance. It is the Lord's alone. And there have been plenty of times where churches and believers have sought to steal that authority from the throne of God and take it as their own when we know it is He who is the sovereign judge. There's one thing we need to clarify. There's a second matter of clarification here as we move down into verse 2 that we need to make. Jesus makes this judgment a matter of measurement. And in, in our previous study where we're working through Galatians, we learned as we work through Galatians together that practically there are only two standards of measurement. We're not talking about the metric system here, but we're talking about there are earthly standards and there are heavenly standards. And practically, you're going to operate between one of the two, the earthly standard of measurement or the heavenly standard of measurement. And there's only one way that is redeeming. There's only one way you will find hope, and that is towards heaven. So Jesus says that there's, there's two standards of measurement here. So let's talk about the earthly one. Let's talk about the heaven, or excuse me, the human standard of measurement. And the human standards of measurement will randomize themselves. And this is what I mean by this. Over the course of time, human standards of measurement or earthly standards of judgment constantly change. Sometimes they linger longer than others, but there is this constant shift in, in what it means to be righteous in the eyes of this, our society, our countries, the, the people across the globe, it is this moving target of what it means to be righteous. And it changes at the whims of the largest mobs. And know this, this is true under every human institution of judgment, both legitimate ones and illegitimate ones. Under every human standard of measurement, you will fail. There, there's no possible way where you don't fail. Even if one day you succeed, the mark will be moved and you will fail the next day. 
By all the human measurements, you will be condemned. When put under a microscope, things that will hit were hidden, things that are festering, will be brought out, and you will be condemned, convicted, a lawbreaker. Every earthly, every human measurement will condemn us. And this, is, this is how we, we think about human measurements. They, they bring this, this pressure into our lives. They bring guilt into our lives. They, they're meant to be destructive. They're meant to be condemning. And they are always changing. But there's a heavenly measure too. The heavenly measure, though it's defined by perfection in Jesus, there's a different way about it. It doesn't just expose our imperfections. You see, it's similar to the the earthly measurements here in that there is this exposure. But, But in the earthly way, the exposure is meant to destroy you. In the heavenly way, the heavenly measure, it heals all those imperfections. That, that Jesus Christ is the healer who mends our wounds. And by the grace of God, we are called righteous by the blood of Jesus. There is deep exposure, but it brings about a welcomed healing that every one of us needs. Now, as Jesus moves down through, when you get to verses three through five, Jesus is explaining something about a primary Christian response, about who we are in him. That anybody that turns to Jesus is turning from that which was to him. That anybody who follows Jesus has to adjust their life. When you, when you follow Jesus, when you come to Jesus, you will not remain the same. We turn, we follow, we repent. Christianity, for one who believes in Jesus, is a transformative exercise. And in these verses, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus describes that transformative exercise as log removal. That, that there, is, there is this significant healing that takes place in us as, as we remove a log that is, is jammed into our eye and it's taken out by the hand of the Christ. And everything about us, our, our words, our actions, our lives are now defined in that healing of how, how Jesus has removed that from us And we have been healed by his body and his blood. That now, because of the Christ, we can see clearly. See, Jesus starts with you. And God's will for your life always begins with this self-reflection in the spirit. As Jesus is working down through these verses, three, four, and five, he, he says, to, to your own ways, to your own heart, to your, to your own eye, to your own mind, 
This is about you. Your relationship with Jesus is deeply impacting who you are. And that's where this life begins and flourishes with Jesus. You know, as he works through these verses, he says, you know, everybody's happy to point out the ways that that others are living contradictory lives. Humans are really good at that. We're, we, we, we know how to point out the imperfection in our neighbor. But the way of Jesus is to turn and in the spirit be able to wrestle with your own imperfections. Right? We, we, don't, we don't like to be put under the microscope. We like to grab other people and put them under the microscope. But Jesus says, with him, we submit and, and our lives are transformed by his power and his presence. See, being, being near to Jesus is going to upend your life. He's going to flip tables in your heart. See, su- submit to him. Receive this work. And there are going to be moments of deep pain. But there's a difference In those earthly measurements, it's meant to crush you. These moments with Jesus will restore you, bring holy healing. We we know there there is a destructive work of God. We see moments in Scripture where, where God brings destruction. But this work in your heart, for you as a believer, is a creative work. It's a, it's a recreation in you. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, we're, we're to be a repentant people. And following Jesus means recognizing your sins and exposing them to the disinfectant of the light. It's interesting, there's, there's a number of places in Scripture when, when we come to these moments, because repentance is on nearly every page of the Scripture. And, and as we begin to talk about repentance, there, there are plenty of moments, too, in the Scriptures where God reveals His ways, where He shows us what, what sin looks like. And He tells the stories of sinful ones. And so we, when we wrestle th- with this in the Spirit, there's, there's a number of different things that we look at when we're talking about sin. So one of those in the Old Testament, we, we look at the Ten Commandments, right? Those are a good place to begin. When we come to the, the New Testament, we hear Jesus talk about two commandments. The first and the greatest and the second is like it. It's a good place to begin. As you move further into the New Testament, right, we have the epistles. And throughout the epistles, we, we have a, a number of varied vice lists where we have these, these lists that begin to show what sin looks like in a person. Um, it's interesting, too, when we get to Revelation, Jesus is talking to churches there. In five of the seven churches, he begins to expose sin in those, those churches. One of them hits particularly close to home, that Laodicea. He says, you and the church, you're, you're too comfortable in fact, you, you have too much. In, in your wealth, you, you don't feel like you have need anymore. 
You feel like you can take care of yourself. You don't feel like you need God. And again, he's, he's talking to the church there. Saying you've become this lukewarm mess. Be zealous and repent. And so we, we have these, these moments in Scripture where they, they highlight sins to help us as we move forward in repentance. And Jesus does the same thing for us here. And I was to note three here in particular. Where Jesus says three things here. He says, you need to repent of. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's saying, you this morning, you need to repent. You need to come to me in confession in this way. So sin number one, and it's in that three through five. Jesus is calling us to repentance. For any time we've, we've judged someone else, before genuine self-reflection in the Spirit. I mean, I want to be careful here. There, there, there are genuine times where in the church, and particularly, we need to hold one another accountable. And we need to talk about sin that is in others' lives. There, there are times we need to speak the truth into temptation. See, here, as Jesus says these things, he's not saying ignore sin. He's not, he's not saying be desensitized to the failure of others, but what he is saying is there is there's no place for you to speak wisely on those matters without repentance, without the Spirit of God working on your heart. You can only imagine sin with its remedy in Jesus Christ himself. And so it's, it's destructive when we come to these moments and we don't recognize we're a sinner saved by grace, when we start to believe or imagine or act like we're the judge, we fall. Because we're not the judge. We are a sinner saved by the grace of God. And if we ever take any posture other than we are a sinner saved by grace, we need to fall to our knees in repentance. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a second sin here, too, that we need to look at. It's, it's in verse 6, and this one's more difficult, where Jesus says, don't take what is valuable, holy or pearl, or something that, that is extremely valuable, and, and give it to somebody who's going to destroy it. And so it's interesting, we, we understand the concept, but it's hard to know the specifics. In fact, if you, you know, look through all the scholarship, um, they say, when you get to specifics, we're not entirely sure what Jesus is talking about. But as we work through this, we recognize we have been, been given much in this life. God has given us new life in Jesus. We, we, we have ourself, our, our, our bodies, who we are. We've been given the gospel, right? We've been given resources. We've been given an abundance of, of, of things that God has placed in our lives. We've been given each other, right? We've been given the church. And we want to be very careful to be wise in how we handle those things. Not to hand them over to destruction, but to be careful stewards of everything that God has given us.
And for everything that we have, for everything that we are, may we be intentional and careful to serve the kingdom of God with those things and with the Spirit of God. Number three, Jesus mentions down in verse 12, is repent this very morning for treating poorly the people that I brought into your life this week. You should have loved them, should have been affectionate with them, should have recognized their value and you missed it. You treat, treat people the way you want to be treated. This, this is an active working out of our faith in relationship. You know, Jesus is saying here, these relationships matter. The relationships inside the church, the relationships in our families, the, the relationships that you have throughout the week, these are moments that God has given you. These are interactions from heaven for you to live out the faith that God is developing in your heart. We know God, God has placed people into your lives. These interactions have been ordained by God and we need to view them as such. Right? Wait, may we view the people who God brings into our lives as ordained interactions, opportunities for obedience and growth in us. And Jesus says, for every time you've missed it, let us repent. As you hear these sins, so Jesus kind of gives us three here, and we know there's, there's many more as you turn through the pages of Scripture. And as we recognize these things in our lives, when, when, we, when we falter and miss it, or when, when we, we make steps forward and we're growing in the faith, that all of this comes in and by the person of Jesus. So that when we stand before the throne of God, our only defense is that I'm with the Christ. Nothing else. I love Jesus. And I'm going to follow him with all of my heart. May that be us this morning. May that be us as a church. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we pray that as we come to a moment of response, that in the same breath you would break our hearts and heal our hearts. Lord, that you would rip out the sin and be our healing. Lord, that you would draw in near to us as a body. Lord, to make us whole. And we pray now, as we come to this time of response, Lord, if there's anything we need to repent of, that we wouldn't retain it any longer, but that we would leave it at the cross. And Lord, we, we pray that your spirit would continue and renew this transformative work in us. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.